You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Trash Talk with TK, episode 25. In this episode, we'll talk about Gabe Kapler and the Phillies' constant descent into the gutter over the last two months of the season. Talk about the Eagles Titans, uh, Eagles losing Rodney McLeod for the rest of the year. What are they going to do to address the safety? And I'll give you my NFL picks for week four and my take on takes that I just can't hold back anymore. Trash talk with TK episode 25. Let's go. Now we'll touch on the Eagles and uh, their game this week coming up against the Titans. And all that stuff going on with them. But first, I got to I gotta get into the Phillies a little bit here. And I'll start by saying, if you listen to me, listen to this podcast, listen to me on 94 WIP, you'll know I have been, for the most part, a supporter of Gabe Kapler. And I think he was a, a good hire. I think trying to open your mind and advance your your operation of your ball club, which has been, uh, you know, behind the times for a long time, advancing toward a new analytical approach into the new era is important, and I think it is a, a good thought process. And for the most part, this season, this team looked like it was benefiting from a lot of those approaches and, and not just the analytical side, but also Gabe Kapler and his approach to player relationships and his approach to uh, positivity and having a a positive outlook with his players, positive reinforcement, which he has time and time again said is important to him and he believes in and he has demonstrated by doing it as well. That being said, what has happened with this team over the last two months, has been an absolute disgrace. And I don't care what anybody says about preseason expectations. I keep seeing it from the people who want to defend Gabe Kapler to the hilt and defend this organization to the hilt. About nobody expected before the season that this team was going to be in this kind of situation. Therefore, the collapse is really not that bad. It's really not that bad when you take into account what they were supposed to be and what they've become, they're about reaching expectations. I I hate that approach. I hate that explanation. I don't buy it in the least. Because the bottom line is, as you go throughout the course of a season and things take shape and things progress, your expectations can and should change. And when this team is 63-48 and 48 on August 6th, 15 games over five hundred a game and a half up in the NL East, in a division where the team who was supposed to win it totally fell apart from the beginning of the season, your expectations can change. A lot of the expectations, based on maybe the Phillies can compete for a wild card spot, but they won't really be able to compete for the division title, were based off the fact that everybody thought the Nationals were going to run away and win this division by 15, 20 games. Everybody thought the Nationals were going to be a 95 to 100 win team. When that's not the case and your main source of competition is the Atlanta Braves, another young team who's in a very similar situation as you are, that 
excuse of preseason expectations and reaching them and not not being able to advance your expectations, it doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water. And this team has completely collapsed. And it's not acceptable. And it's also, it's not just a function of a lack of talent or of youth, as many people say. A lot of people say, oh, it's a young team, kind of kind of struggled near the end. If that was the case, it would be a little easier to take. And that's certainly a factor, but it's not the whole story. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you like Gabe Kapler. I don't care what you think of him as a manager, what you think of him as a person or anything, as a motivator, whatever. You cannot, you, a sane person cannot have watched this team for the last two months, especially the last couple weeks, and tell me that they are still giving maximum effort. If you have watched, especially over the last two to three weeks, there's no way you're getting that kind of effort from this team. They have quit. They've quit on their manager. And I, that's a, a lot of times that concept is overblown and it's a hard thing to tell. But when you really see it, you know it. And you know it with this team. And anybody who, who doesn't believe that they have quit on the team, they're lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves because they want to see what they want to see. They don't want to see what's really going on in front of their eyes. You know, when you see a game like last night, and they're, you know, the, the first eight hitters of the game are striking out, that that's that's a bad approach. That's a mental mindset that's not there. That's a lack of effort. I don't care if you're out of the playoff race. You're a professional. You play hard. You continue playing hard. This team quit a long time ago. They quit while they were still mathematically involved. I truly believe that. When things were going south, they could not stabilize. And that is an indictment on the manager. People bash Andy Reid all the time. And say what you want about Andy Reid. And he certainly has his flaws I can't defend a lot of the things that he's had issues with, time management, stuff like that, losses in the playoffs time and time again in games where he's favored, totally understandable. You're totally within your rights to criticize him for that. But one thing you cannot criticize Andy Reid for, and the reason why he was able to hang on to his job as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles for 14 years, is because up until that 14th year, his team never quit on him. Regardless of how the season went, they always finished strong. They always played well in late November into December. Even in 2011, that was the dream team year when they were 4-8. and eight. They still fought, they still won their final four games and got to 8-8 eight and eight for the season. 2007, 5-8 on the year. Come back. Finish 8-8. Eight eight. Brian Westbrook, you know, makes that play where he falls down at the goal line against the Cowboys. Finish strong. It happened time and time again under Andy Reid. His teams never quit on him. That is how he hung around here so long. That's why when people ask, why do you keep bringing Andy Reid back? That was a big part of it. And if you ask me, 
the fact that that didn't happen for Andy Reid till year 14. Think about this. It's happening to Gabe Kapler in year one. That's a major concern. That's a major, major issue that your team has chosen to give up on their manager in year one of a long process. That is not a good sign by any means. I'm not saying you have to fire him. You could bring him back. You should, I think, bring him back. I'm not as 100% all into that as I was before, but I do think Gabe Kapler deserves another year, but I also think his leash next year might not be that long. If this team gets off to a bad start and the players aren't responding and it seems like they're tuning him out, he could be gone very quickly. And this offseason for the Phillies is critical. You know, this was an extremely disappointing um, end of the season. And I'll tell you what, they need either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. They need one of those two guys. And if they don't get one of those guys, I don't know what the future holds for this team. Because that's another issue with this year. We didn't really find out anything about any of these guys. I don't know who got better. You can make the argument maybe Nick Pavetta got better, but his numbers don't end up being that great. Vince Velasquez stayed in the rotation all year. Okay, but his numbers are less than less than stellar. Zach Eflin had a good couple months stress stretch. Other than that, he wasn't good at all. Reese Hoskins, you know, I guess, you know, it's his first full year in the majors. You can expect improvement from him. But otherwise, you don't know anything at the end of the season that you that you didn't know before. So I don't know what this team does. All I know is they better get one of those two big-time free agents. And if they don't, I don't know what the future holds, but I don't think it's that bright for this team. So on Sunday, Eagles take on the Titans down in Tennessee. Disappointing news earlier on in the day. Rodney McLeod, torn MCL. He's out for the year. And that's going to hurt this defense. Rodney McLeod, a guy that you don't hear a ton about. Um, I've heard some people be critical of him. I think he's a pretty good player. Uh, he's had a couple chances at interceptions the first couple weeks of the season that he didn't come up with. Uh, one against, I believe it was Atlanta, and one against Indy this past week. But in general, he's solid back there. And he's a guy who's always going to be in the right place. And you don't always notice a guy like that, but a smart player who you can always rely on to be where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. So I think the the Eagles are going to miss Rodney McLeod. I don't really know how they're planning on replacing him at this point. Um, I guess the short-term solution is Corey Graham, but Corey Graham's an older player. Corey Graham is a guy just more suited at this point in his career to be in the role that he was in prior to McLeod getting hurt, which is, you know, the dime defensive back role when you bring a third safety on the field that's really the role that best suits Corey Graham at this point. So I'm sure in the meantime, he can be a viable solution to Rodney McLeod, but I don't know about long-term. And I don't know what the Eagles are going to do. I don't know if you go out, sign somebody. I know a guy like um, Eric Reed is out there. He's filing a collusion case against the, against the NFL. I don't know how that plays out. I know he hasn't played football in a while, but... I mean, a decent player, guy I'd look at. TJ Ward is another guy who's out there. Um, more of a run a run specialist safety than a, a pass defender. You'd probably rather have a guy 
who's better against the pass in there. But we'll see if they look that route or if they look internally, because this is kind of going to be interesting to see if the Eagles move on doing something that I think a lot of people have called for before and whether this is something that they see as a potential scheme fit. What I'm talking about is do you move a guy like Rasul Douglas, who's currently buried on your cornerback depth chart, but has shown last year started a handful of games, this year had a big pick against Atlanta, has shown that he can be a valuable, a valuable player do you move him from corner to safety? I think that's kind of tough to do at this point of the year. You know, the guy's been coming on as a corner since he's been here. How, you know, how quickly can you teach him a whole new position? You know, and is he even the best option at that kind of situation? Or a lot of people have talked about moving Jalen Mills. Do you move Jalen Mills to safety? And that would be kind of a natural thing. You move Mills to safety, you just slot Sidney Jones outside as your outside corner. And then in nickel, I know they like Sidney Jones in the slot. You bring in Rasul Douglas to play the outside in those situations, and you move Jalen Mills. I'm not sure what you do. But it's going to be interesting. I I would like the Eagles to be able to go with one of those internal guys. I would like to see Rasul Douglas or Jalen Mills moved because I think they're both good players. I just don't know if the learning curve for a whole new position at this point is viable. And and real quick, while we're on the subject, I want to touch on Jalen Mills. And I don't get why people seem to dislike Jalen Mills as much as they do. I really don't. I know he gets beat sometimes. I know he gets some penalties. He bites on double moves. That's stuff he needs to correct. But I love what Jalen Mills brings to this football team and brings to that defense. As a city, people in Philadelphia always say they want a guy who's going to compete. Just give effort play hard, compete, and we'll love you. Jalen Mills does that every... Jalen Mills will never cheat you on effort. Maybe he's not the most physically talented guy, but this is a guy who's come in as a seventh-round draft pick with a chip on his shoulder and has been a major contributor. Not afraid of contact, does everything needed of of a corner in the run game, a very sure tackler, and he competes every step of the way. Yeah, you'll have to deal with some mistakes, but that's any corner. I just don't understand when I see Ronald Darby getting torched. Nobody gets on Ronald Darby. Jalen Mills over the last two games has been far better than Ronald Darby has. Much better than him against Indianapolis. And for all Jalen Mills' problems, I think Jalen Mills was better than Darby against Tampa Bay as well. That first play that Jalen Mills gave up, that was on Malcolm Jenkins. I love Malcolm Jenkins. He made a mistake. Ronald Darby had the more egregious play in that game when he refused to even attempt to tackle O.J. Howard. So I don't really get the Jalen Mills hate. Uh, We'll see if they moved him to safety. I like him on the outside. I just think if you moved him to safety, it might help you get your best players on the field. And that's what you want to do. You want to get your best guys out there, and it would give the chance for Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas just to see an uptick in playing time which I think nobody would be opposed of. But as for this week against Tennessee, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, this is a weird spot. Tennessee's a 2-1 team, but not an overly impressive 2-1. They beat a good Jacksonville team, 9-6, ugly game. Tennessee's offense hasn't done much, but they have some talent. I mean, Deion Lewis is a guy who always scares me. Former Eagle, um, played for the Patriots last year, just a playmaker. 
a, a big time playmaker. And he's a guy that has always scared me. And I think it's going to be a challenge for the Eagles to defend him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Malcolm Jenkins kind of shadow Deion Lewis a lot, akin to how Malcolm Jenkins shadowed James White in the Super Bowl. They're very similar type players. In that game, everybody going into it thought Malcolm Jenkins would shadow Gronk. That wasn't the way Jim Schwartz decided to play. He played Malcolm Jenkins on the big-time receiving running back in James White. And if history's any indicator, I could see him doing a lot of that this week when Deion Lewis is on the field. Their other power back, Derrick Henry, doesn't pose those same threats. He's a big guy, tough to bring down, but he's more used in the running game. He's not much of a receiving threat. So Deion Lewis scares me, um, but their passing game has struggled. Rashard Lewis might get cut. Corey Davis has not lived up to his first-round potential yet. Delaney Walker, who is their really good tight end, is out for the year. And Marcus Mariota's been banged up, as he always is, and hasn't looked good. Offensively for the Eagles, I mean, Tennessee's defense has played well this year. They got a good secondary, three good corners in Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, who, you know, we know how good Malcolm Butler is, and who knows what happened in the Super Bowl if he had played, and then a Dory Jackson, a second-year guy. So, along with Byard, who's a really good um, all-pro safety last year, and Kenny Vaccaro, formerly of the Saints. So, they have some talent on that defense. With Brian Arakpo, another guy who we know from his time in Washington. Jarrell Casey, a really good defensive lineman. Benning Logan is there now. They have a lot of talent on that defensive side, and I think they're going to give Carson Wentz a lot of different looks. They're going to try to get after him. In the end, I, I think the Eagles find a way to win this game. I just think the Eagles are the better team. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I'm not overreacting to the struggles of the offense early on in the year. Carson Wentz just got back. It's going to take a little while for everything to come back into the full. We don't know if Alshon Jeffrey is going to play. Jay Ajayi should play. My guess is Jay Ajayi plays. Alshon Jeffrey, straight up questionable. And Darren Sproles, I'd say, probably does not play. But I think the Eagles move the ball effectively enough. I think the Eagles win this game 24-17. to I think it's tough. I think it could, could come down very much like the Eagles' two wins of the season, where the defense is going to need a stop on that final possession. But there's nothing to tell me that they're not going to be able to come up with it. I know defense isn't nearly as good on the road, but this isn't a good Tennessee offense. And Deion Lewis is the X factor. If you can limit Deion Lewis and his production and his big plays, I think you're going to be okay. And I think the Eagles will win this game 24 to 17. Now I want to wrap up with doing some picks for week four in the NFL. Last week, week three, I went two and one with my picks against the spread. One game I lost was the Patriots at Detroit on Sunday night. Didn't see that one coming. Lions beat the the Patriots 26 to 10. Patriots uh, don't look very good, but I would expect them to rebound. The two games I won, I had the Rams minus seven over the Chargers. Rams won by 12, and I had the Panthers minus four or five, something like that. Either way, they beat the Bengals by 10. So they were my two. That was my two and one week three. Week four in the NFL. Um, my picks for you, Packers minus 10 at home against the Bills. I know the, the Bills had the big win over Minnesota last week. I think that's one of those things that's kind of an aberration within the course of a season. I don't see that happening again. I like the Packers to win. And I think they'll cover the 10 uh, coming off a bad loss in Washington for them. I think the Packers 
win that one big. I'd lay the 10 there. Patriots, as I said, I expect them to rebound. They're six and a half point favorites against the Dolphins. 3-0 Dolphins. I mean, this has got to be the biggest game for the Dolphins in years. In years. This has got to be the biggest football game for Miami in a long time. Um, with the Patriots 1-2, and two, Dolphins 3-0, they can open up a nice little lead in that division with a win. But I don't see it happening. I see Tom Brady and the Patriots bouncing back and covering the 6.5. And, and my third and final pick for you, I'll go with a team that I don't have a ton of confidence in as a whole. They're 0-3. But I'll take the Raiders at home. Raiders against the Browns. Browns coming off that emotional win. This is a huge game for them. and this, But this is a really huge game for the Raiders. I mean, John Gruden, could you imagine him going 0-4 and the fourth loss being to the Browns at home? The Raiders cannot lose this game. They cannot lose that this game. I don't think they will. Only giving up 2.5. I think the Raiders, I, I don't think they're a good team. As I said before the season, I thought the Gruden hire was going to be disastrous, and it is going to be disastrous. It already is. But... I think the Raiders win this game and cover the two and a half. So those are my NFL picks for week four. And before we get out of here, I just want to um, talk about a, a tweet I had earlier today where I said I, I pleaded with people to stop using the word take. It has become the most annoying word to me out there. It's on Twitter constantly. Everything's got to be a take. This is a good take. It's a good take. It's a bad take. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm just so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. We did, you know, the sports opinion business for years without using this word. And now everything's got to be a take. People referring to themselves as takesmen. Stop. It is so, so annoying. Everybody does it. Everything's got to be a hot take. I can't take it anymore. It's so irritating i don't understand why i and now it's just the trendy thing and this is what's so annoying is people just do whatever's trendy at the time and i know i sound like an old like an old guy i'm only you know i'm i'm a younger person i think around 30 31 but i just i don't know i this kind of thing like just bothers me when day after day i gotta see everybody tweeting out their their takes every single day. And it is so annoying. I'm pleading with people to stop using the word take so much. You have beat it into the ground. We get it. We get it. Dial it back a little bit. because I can't take it anymore. And that'll do it for trash talk with TK. I'll be back with you next week. Follow me on Twitter at Tommy Kelly 44. Thank you once again for listening. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.